Hi everyone, I'm Maria Margaglioni, Web and Visual Communications Manager for the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. In our podcast today, we'll be talking about the DBSA I'm Here campaign and ways in which we can connect people living with a mood disorder with their family and loved ones so that nobody feels like they have to go through this journey alone. Cinda and Linnea Johnson are joining us today to talk about the DBSA I'm Here campaign. Together, they wrote Perfect Chaos, A Daughter's Journey with Bipolar, A Mother's Struggle to Save Her. Linnea currently works as a research coordinator at Harborview Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. She was the recipient of the 2013 DBSA Life Unlimited Award. Cinda is a professor and director of the Graduate Special Education Program at Seattle University. She is a national leader in the area of transition from high school to post-high school for people living with disabilities. Together, Cinda and Linnea make up a mother-daughter team with a shared purpose of building hope and lessening the stigma for those struggling with mental health conditions. Welcome, Linnea and Cinda, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Maria, this is really a great um, honor to be part of this. For listeners who are just meeting you, Linnea, can you tell us about how your journey started when you were 19 and first diagnosed with bipolar disorder? My journey actually started when I was about 15 with depression, but I wasn't actually diagnosed with bipolar until I was about 19. Um, And this started for me with a very severe depression. I just stopped being able to function. I wouldn't leave my room. I couldn't eat. I couldn't talk to friends or go to school. Um, I broke up with my boyfriend at the time, and um, he eventually confronted me. And at that point, I told him that I wasn't feeling safe. He called my parents back in Seattle. I was in Chicago, and they came and brought me home. (laughs) So very dramatic, the beginning. Mm -hmm. Cinda, we know that when a loved one is diagnosed with a mood disorder or any medical condition for that matter, that there's a shift in family dynamics. Would you mind talking about the journey that you and your family have been on? Yes. um, You know, when Linnea talked about the symptoms started in high school, they did. But like many family members, I don't think we really recognized them for what they were and Ironically enough, I was actually teaching classes about mood disorders, so I should have recognized it, but I kept looking for something outside of her to fix, like her schedule was too busy, or is this just teenage angst, or, you know, is there not enough sleep? But when all of a sudden she was so ill and was suicidal and and had to come home from college, it, it changed everything. I mean, I think all families go through this, and it's sort of the stages of you know, denial and acceptance and denial again and, and grief um, about, you know, the plans and dreams that you had for this perfect child and then everything changes. But I think that it also gives you an opportunity to be closer and to be have a more honest relationship and to really um, have an opportunity to get through some some bumps in the road that everyone has, although some are, some are bigger. So, I think that journey was, in some ways, strengthened our family, um, in, in all ways strengthened our family, although there were times when we were feeling like we were just barely hanging on. Um, now it's shifted from the journey from her initial illness as as kind of coming back to home and back to our care to moving on to through 
stability and recovery and you know some bumps along the way and then and then an adult relationship so it's like any family's relationship is their kids go from being at home to being young adults to being on their own but i think it's just um to, it causes you to think about it a little more and experience a lot more when you have a mental illness in the family Asking for help is difficult for anyone, but the amount of stigma that's still attached to mental health creates even more barriers. Linnea, what was your experience when you reached out? Um, I had a lot of different experiences reaching out. I do have to say that I'm extremely, extremely lucky in having a family that I could reach out to. They always were supportive from the very start. Um, my family knows a lot about disabilities, so they they knew how to be sensitive to it and really work with me. Um, but reaching out to friends was a whole different thing. Um, and, you know, I think that there – I've had lots of different experiences. I, I had an experience with a friend I reached out to and when we were 19, and she just didn't know how to deal with it. Um, she disappeared, and she she stopped supporting me. But – you know, here we are 10 years later, and she's the biggest fan and supporter of me, and she's totally um, come around and understands it more and is totally supportive now. But then other times when I reached out, I was surprised at how just willing people are to support you, and um, I found that the stigma that I was feeling was stronger in myself than a lot of the people that I reached out to and that I was having a lot of self-stigma and assuming that no one wanted to help me or talk to me when, in fact, um, my friends were really willing to support me had I, they just known what was going on. And what has been the most helpful for you? Um, I think it's been really the most helpful to have a strong support network, um, not just having my family, but having friends, having um, a medical team that I trust, and that way, the the burden doesn't just fall on one person to support me. I have a whole team of people that can support me. Um, I recently just experienced an episode of my bipolar where I was rapid cycling, and my family, um, my mom and dad, were in Europe for a month. <laughs> and my um, partner was actually finishing up school and was super stressed himself, and so he didn't really have that much time. And so it was having this larger support network when the three of my biggest supporters were busy or gone. Um, it was having those other friends that I could count on. And so it's been helpful to have a big team of supporters so that, um, you know, when one person isn't there to support you, you have someone else to fall back on. And, and also knowing that I have a good medical team that I can fall back on if no one else is available. And Cinda, I'll ask you too, what has been the most helpful for you in helping Linnea and yourself? I think the the overarching thing that has been the most helpful through all of this is developing honesty with each other because that has helped us be able to ask the questions about how can I help you or I see this or is this too much, is this not enough? And I think the same with Linnea is that and I was actually wanting to jump in and ask her a question when she was talking because I was thinking about, you know, we've presented so much together that I assume I kind of know what she would say. But I think she would also say, you know, I want to know how do you ask for help and how do you – I think it's that honesty to be able to ask for help 
and to also be able to tell people when enough is enough or when you don't need it. Um, so that's been the first thing is the honesty. And then the next one is is similar to what Lania said, and that is to have a, a, a team of supporters around you. Um, and we're lucky that, you know, I work somewhere that I don't have a eight-to-five job that I have to be there. You know, I can make a call to a doctor during the day or I can leave um, to do appointments or I've got friends that actually work in this field so they understand. But I'm constantly thinking about people who don't have that, to have that team. And, you know, when Linnea talked about when she had some symptoms while we were gone, um, we suspected from the call, we had a couple of calls with her and we thought things weren't going really well. But I also had this really sense of, you know, she has her partner, she has her close friends. We have family members that live here that are very comfortable with all of this. I mean, they don't turn away. They're not, you know, they're not over aggressive, but they're there. She could call them for anything. And I think she feels comfortable to do that. And that's what I would hope everyone would have. And I, I know that's what your campaign's working towards. You both are strong advocates for people living with a mental health condition. How do you start that conversation with other people? For me, it's um, us telling our stories. And once we share our stories, people share their own stories. And I think that's the first step is feeling comfortable enough to do that. And then the second thing for me, and one of my graduate students actually (laughs) taught me this. We were presenting to a class of graduate students that are all going to be mental health counselors and school counselors and school psychologists. And they were listening to us talk, and one of them said, wow, this is like a human rights issue. And I knew that, but I hadn't put it in words yet. And to me, that really switched my thinking of it's not okay to discriminate. It's not okay to teach treat people with a mental illness differently than someone who has any other illness because a mental illness is a physical illness. And so not feeling ashamed of of that and not joining together to really advocate for equity and equal treatment and and more research dollars and all of those kinds of things that are needed. Um, The way that I start the conversation is (laughs) – it actually just comes out very naturally um, when people ask me what I do because I I tell them that um, I have my own business doing mental health advocacy and they want to know more about it and eventually my story comes out and I'm I'm really comfortable talking about my story. I mean, I do it for a living and so um, oftentimes people are shocked hearing that I'm so upfront saying I'm bipolar and telling them that I was hospitalized, but... It's amazing. I was just watching a baseball game, um, a pickup baseball game with um, some, a couple of girls that I had never met before, and they asked me what I did, and we were talking, and um, it came out that I had bipolar and that um, I did this for a living, and the girl I was sitting with said, you know, I never tell anyone, but I also have bipolar, and, and we just had this great conversation that just allowed her to be open because I was so honest and open. Um, And we ended up swapping numbers, and um, now she feels like she has someone she can talk to as well. So it's really amazing how just sharing your story can start kind of this. (laughs) Um, I mean, it'll just start a ripple, and, and then more and more people become comfortable. 
That's really interesting. I uh, <clears throat> I was recently on a plane going out to L.A., and, and any time I bring up that I, I work at the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, there's, there's a, a small pause, and then they immediately go into my mother has bipolar disorder or my aunt had depression or, you know, this person uh, died by suicide, et cetera. And, it, you know, just – just opening up the conversation, no matter which way it goes, whether you work somewhere or, you know, like you say, like you share your your story or your experience, it gives permission for other people to talk about it then, um, which is where this campaign was, uh, which where which is where this campaign came from. So thank you so much for, for both of you for what you do. And uh, thank you for sharing your experiences with us. I know our listeners are going to find this information valuable and hopefully give them the courage to reach out when they feel like they're on this road alone. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Please visit dbsalliance.org slash I'm here to find out more about the campaign and be well.